time again for the assault on your dice. We call Lord Dorks a Star Trek Adventures live play. Tonight on our tabletop is. Whoa, whoa, whoa. that's not at all what we're doing today. What? Not at all. No? I, but I, I mixed characters. And that's not characters. You were supposed to mix drinks. It was drinks, Aaron. I can do both. Uh, no, you can't. <laughs> Let's talk about what we're actually supposed to be talking about tonight. Um, and that is, well, you're kind of halfway there, Aaron. It was the tabletop role-playing game Star Trek Adventures, uh, but more specifically, the Lower Decks stuff that is releasing this summer on Star Trek Adventures. But you know what? In order to do that, we need to introduce our two guests. Let's go to Al first. So Al Spader, you are a freelance writer and you work on Star Trek Adventures. Give us the rundown on everything you've done. Uh, yeah, how's it going? Al Spader. I'm a freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures. I'm also a writer for the uh, Modifius World Builders program for the role-playing game Sentience. And yeah, I've been working with uh, Jim and the other writers for a couple of years now. have like, I don't know, four books out at this time uh, that I've worked with. So excited to be here. Excellent. And what beverage are you enjoying this evening? It's kind of a free-for-all tonight, so... So this evening, I am uh, drinking a, a Downey Cider. I'm from Maine, uh, and uh, this is a local uh, brewery in Maine, and it is a strawberry cider. It's uh, delicious. That sounds really great. I'm actually kind of jealous. I'm kind of a cider person myself. Only boring people are not cider people. <laughs> hey, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Let's move on to Jim. Uh, Jim Johnson, you're, uh, I believe you're known as the uh, project manager or a project manager on Star Trek Adventures. Uh, you have a ton of credits all over the place. Uh, why don't you give us the rundown on uh, who exactly you are and what you've done on Star Trek Adventures? Yeah, sure thing. First of all, thanks for having us on the show. Really appreciate it. Uh, my name is Jim Johnson. I'm the project manager and line editor for the Star Trek Adventures RPG published by Modifius Entertainment. Uh, I am the uh, the uh, primary point of contact for Star Trek Adventures. So if you need anything Star Trek Adventures related from Modiphius, I'm the I'm the one to go to because uh, I, I will either point you in the right direction or provide the answers. So I've uh, I've been working with Modiphius for just over seven years now, uh, pretty much exclusively on Star Trek. Although earlier earlier on, I had enough bandwidth to uh, to dabble with the Fallout RP uh, the Fallout 2D20 uh, RPG. I helped out working on the um, adaptation of the fallout waste on warfare to rpg and then provided just a couple little bits and pieces for the actual 2d20 rpg itself but otherwise uh, been all star trek all the time i think i've touched 99 percent of the star trek adventures products that Modifius has released to date and uh, they put me in charge of it uh, as the project manager at the end of uh actually i guess it was uh, august of 2019 like right before the pandemic and have been uh, steering the ship since then and been working with Al and a bunch of other writers and developers and editors and proofreaders and artists and so on and so forth for a long time now. And uh, we got a nice little machine cranking along here. So uh, super excited to to be here tonight to be talking with you about Lower Decks. Excellent. And of course, Excellent. the real question here. So Star Trek Adventures, labor of love or soulless cash dra- grab? <laughs> tell, me your, tell me your truth. Um, I am a... I'm a lifelong fan of Star Trek from from the you know from the early '70s, and so this is absolutely a labor of love for me. I mean, I'm a project manager, obviously, so it's a it's a part time gig, it's a freelance gig for me, uh, but it's uh, 100% in my brain. It's a, it's a labor of love. I'm doing this partly because I'm a lifelong gamer too, right? And I know exactly what kind of Star Trek stuff I want at my game table and on my shelf, 
and uh, I just lucked into a position where I can actually make it, uh, not just for me, but all for, for all the other Star Trek gamers out there, too. So, absolutely. In, in my mind, it's a labor of love. Uh, Al might have a different opinion, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that's where I stand, anyway. Come on, Al. Don't let me down. No, I, I would say that this is definitely a labor of love. I think just, you know, being a part of uh, a community of writers on uh, such a special IP is, you know, uh, the any money that you make during this job is, uh, you know, it's just kind of like in the background. I think scratching the creative itch and uh, bouncing ideas off of other writers and things like that is, it, it, it's something, it does something to my brain that just, you know, I, I love and I, you know, I, I, well, it's nice to get paid to write stuff, but uh, just having your uh, your fingers in on an IP that is uh, so cool and a game that is just you know one of the best on the market uh, is spectacular. That's disappointing. Yeah. Nobody ever says soulless cash grab. <laughs> where, I feel like this could have been a question. Where are my dispassioned uh... capitalists? Come on, man! I know you not exist. On, not on this episode. Well, <laughs> I, I doubt they're they're really getting involved in Star Trek. Uh, <laughs> at this level, I, I will say that uh, you know I, I've been I've been freelancing for the uh, for the you know tabletop RPG industry on and off for you know twenty odd years now, and like earlier in my career, I I uh, you know I was I was I was a young and hungry writer just like so many more out there, and I was trying to grab work anywhere I could, and uh, I, I will I will freely admit that a lot of my earlier work was absolutely soulish cash grab because. I would. I had the time and the ability to to learn a property fairly quickly. Like I'd read the core book and some of the supplements, and like get up to speed within a couple of weeks, and then I'd be ready to write write a uh, supplement or write some material for it. And uh, there was no passion in it, right? It was just it was just work. It was just you know trying to do anything I could to fill out my uh, CV and get some credits and get some uh, get some momentum going. And I hated it, like honestly, because it was so it was it just took so much time to learn something new. And then to to uh, you know hit the streets and find uh, find work, and I was like, you know what? I just that's why I, I mean I really feel like I've been dabbling in the RPG industry for a long time now until I fell in with Modiphius, and it's like I you know I would have liked to have done more, but in order to do more, you've got to learn like every single system and every single property, and I just didn't want to do that anymore. I just didn't want to keep fighting the the like the, the media tie-in kind of circus. So you know I, I, I have done the soulless cash grab. I will be the first to admit that. I think everybody has done the soulless cash grab. We all got rent to pay. You're definitely right. Before we get too far off track, though, Jim, why don't you tell us about what you are, uh, what you're drinking tonight? I'm sure it'll be disappointing to to some of you and some of your audience, but uh, I have myself a <laughs> a, 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 a bottle of uh, nice nice cold uh, nice cold water. That's that's what my drinking. Oh. That's what I've been drinking a lot. Okay. No, that's what that's what you got to do, right? Like yeah. sometimes. I, mean, I will be honest. Though, I did check. I, I had I had a bottle of cherry lambic in my in my fridge, but I uh, I uncorked it and it, it had turned. <laughs> so it's oh, been no. oh no, it's been in my fridge for so long. It was in my fridge for so long <laughs> that I promptly forgot about it, and uh, I was saving it for a special occasion. And I thought that might be tonight, and unfortunately, it's it's not it's not where it needs to be. So I'm just I'm sticking with, sticking with my water tonight. <laughs> to be fair, fair enough. I also have a bottle of water, but I also have a giant glass of booze. So, <laughs> what is your booze, Aaron? Oh, Jesus yeah. Christ! Um, much like my usual RPG characters, it's a mix of things that shouldn't be put together. There's a little bit of whiskey. There's a little bit of vodka. 
There's some pink Whitney. There is some powdered drink mix in there to cover up that horrible blend. (laughs) I added some water because it was a little too strong. Oh, yeah. I don't know about this. Oh, boy. That that just can't be There's also some bitters in there because, you know, I put bitters in everything. Oh, of course. Yeah. Well, uh, unlike you, I'm drinking something more simplistic. Um, It is one of my go-tos. Um, it's old smoky uh, mango habanero flavor whiskey. Uh, uh, one of my my great go to. I actually finished off my bottle. Yeah, I need to buy a get a new one because it's actually quite tasty. You know, old smoky makes a rainbow of flavors. You should. Uh, it does spread your wings. It's really good. Fly through the skies. Try something else. Yeah, updrafts of old smoky. Indeed. Uh, but let's talk about why we're here. So this is a, a lower deck show, and Aaron and I do have some tabletop RPG experience. But you know what? A lot of other people listening to this show might not. So uh, Jim and Al, between you guys, can you tell us more about what Star Trek Adventures is and why the you know average lower decks fan might care about the content coming out this summer? Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll start, Al, and then why don't you just provide some color commentary once I get through my initial spiel. So Tabletop RPG is so uh, Star Trek, of course, is a property that's been around for 56 years, and it has, it has had some sort of tabletop RPG presence since the, well, I mean, I think since the early 80s with FASA was one of the was one of the first license holders. They were around for a number of years, and then the license went over to uh, Last Unicorn Games for a little while, and then Decipher for a little while, and then after Decipher lost the license uh, in the early 2000s, like the aughts. It must have been 2003, 2004, something like that. Uh, the, license, the RPG license uh, kind of just sat around. No one, no one picked it up, as far as I can recall. No one did anything with it until Modiphius picked it up in uh, 2016 and developed the, uh, the latest version of the Star Trek RPG, which is called Star Trek Adventures. Uh, we have, uh, we've been going seven years strong now. There are 25 or 26 print products, I think, and a whole slew of uh, digital products. It's... Uh, it's a narrative-focused game, 2D20, so if you've been playing other RPGs out there, uh, I would say this one's uh, much different than your than the most popular RPG in the world, and it's uh, <laughs> similar in respects to some more modern RPGs, like uh, more narrative-focused ones. Uh, that's a high-level overview. Uh, Al, you want to provide some other details? Yeah, so, um, and for those of you uh, that don't know what a role-playing game is, essentially, uh, you develop characters, and characters play through different scenarios that are um, delivered by what we call the Game Master in Star Trek Adventures. And there are numbers on your sheet of paper uh, that represent your character. There are also words on your sheet of paper that represent your character. Both the numbers and the words carry heavy meaning in uh, the game of Star Trek Adventures. Uh, in fact, it's it's one of, like Jim was saying, one of these more modern game systems where the words actually matter. And there are uh, mechanics around like what your values are as a person uh, and things like that. So it's a, it's a really, really cool and flexible system that allows you to be as narrative as you want to be or as uh, what we like to say crunchy as you want to be. So if you're somebody that just likes to take on the role of a Klingon and go and hunt down packs of Targs, you can do that very easily in the game. But if you're also someone that likes to tell a character story, a character arc, it, it, it the game also does that very well as well. The game, now that it's seven years old, we've been able to expand it quite a bit since the initial core book came out in 2017. So at this point, you can play pretty much any era, any series, any kind of character you, that you've seen in Star Trek, you can do it in the game. 
So you don't have to uh, just limit yourself to Starfleet characters on a Starfleet ship. You can do literally anything you want within the Star Trek universe. Uh, we've got rules and or advice or material that can help you do pretty much anything you want. So it's all Star Trek all the time. Uh, any you know Anything that you can think of uh, will fit in here, including Lower Decks, which is why we're here uh, talking about this tonight. So what about, um, you know, just to pop in a question here. So let's say, you know, we've got, you know, Joe, Lower Decks fan. He's, you know, relatively new to the franchise. He's really into Lower Decks, but has never played a tabletop RPG before. Is he going to have uh, an easy time getting into Star Trek Adventures? You mentioned that it's both crunchy and also not so crunchy. And I assume crunchy means like, you know, rules heavy and or not so much. What's the the new tabletop RPG fan experience? Someone who's really into Lower Decks, but has never played a tabletop game before. Yeah, great question. I'd say uh, if you're if you're curious about the game and you've got a group of friends locally or you've got a group of friends online or you just you want to find a group online or, or locally, whatever, um, I mean, t- uh, online play is blown up in the last uh, probably five, six years or so, I'd say with Discord and so many other platforms that are out there, uh, it's relatively easy to get into a game online. Uh, just as it is to get together with your with your friends at a table or something. I wouldn't be surprised if statistically there are more people playing on a desktop than on a tabletop these days. Yeah, that'd be it, that'd be a fascinating yeah. statistic to get more information on for sure. But yeah, if you uh, grab yourself the, a free copy of the uh, of the Quick Start, we've got two versions. We got a Starfleet version of the Quick Start and a Klingon version of the Quick Start. I'd say both Quick Starts have a a, a summary of the rules, all the all the essential stuff that you need to get started, plus a uh, an introductory adventure. Uh, one is obviously Klingon focus, the other one Starfleet focus, but you can get those for freezies. You don't need to you don't need to buy anything to get into the game just to try it out. I'd say grab one of those, see what you think of it. If you like it, grab the uh, core rulebook. Again, we have two versions of the core rulebook. We have a Starfleet version and a Klingon version. So just depending on what you're curious about, you know, wanting to play. If you want to play, you know, straight up Starfleet, you know, do that. Or you can play Klingon Warriors, or you can do something in between, you know, whatever. And then, uh, you know, specifically if you're looking for Lower Decks, you know, the uh, the Lower Decks campaign guide is just about to come out. It's on pre-order right now. It'll be out at Gen Con in, uh, in early August, and then it'll be available for general purchase, you know, all around the world at your local game store or online at Modifius's websites, etc. Um, but uh, you don't really need a lot of other supplements. I think just the core book or even just the quick start and then the Lower Decks book, you're good to go for years and years and years of gaming. Uh, we try to make it fairly easy to get into the game, and then we try to provide you a minimum number of supplements that you're either expected to purchase other than the core book. I mean, yeah, you're good to go at that point. I gotta say, I was really... I had not looked at Star Trek Adventures since the initial launch until we started preparing for this podcast, and I was blown away by the prodigious yeah, amount of content, both paid content and free content, available Mm-hmm. For Star Trek Adventures, like I think about like how much companies like Paizo and D and D or and Wizards that have these these huge market shares and how much content they put out, and I was blown away by how much Modifius puts out, and it's not low quality content at all. Um, it's got solid artwork, it's got good design work. It. it takes a lot of effort to produce that and the fluff is really solid and the crunch seems like it's very well thought out i was i was blown away just just by the whole range of content yeah thank you i appreciate that yeah there's a lot out there for sure can you guys think of an example of like the most obscure either 
I mean, because of the range of content, is there like an obscure character type you can play or what's like, considering all the stuff out there, what's like the neatest kind of combination of things that could come out of that? Oh boy. <laughs> well, um, there's so a lot out there. With the Lower Decks campaign guide that's dropping, we introduced eight new character species and a lot of them are very unique Lower Decks specific species. And so, like, if you want to play an exocomp, you can play an exocomp now. If you want to play... <laughs> I saw that. Crazy. If you want to play a cetacean, you can play a cetacean now. So th- we were really excited that with the different species that we were able to get into that book. So probably one of those would be the most unique. Also, in our player's uh, guide, we went through and started discussing, like, non-Starfleet character roles. So, like, if you want to be a diplomat, there's rules in there for that. If you want to be a cook, there's rules in there for that. Uh, really interesting, there's a kid. Like, there's rules for being playing a kid, kind of like a Wesley Crusher um, or, <laughs> you know, a, a Jake. Right. So I, I think, like, if you were to take one of those interesting species from the new campaign guide uh, for Lower Decks and mix it with, like, Kid, I think you would have a really unique experience playing the game. All right, now you've... <laughs> I saw that. Let me just... Yeah, <laughs> we, we ran here, a campaign yeah. where it was an impromptu, no prep work, and everybody at the table showed up with child characters inexplicably unplanned. And now I desperately want to play <laughs> a Star Trek Adventures campaign where everybody is the child of officers on the Enterprise. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, in to comments, uh, I think I would add that um, for, for those those uh, listeners who are familiar with uh, all the great work that IDW Comics is doing right now for Star Trek, uh, a couple years ago they wrapped up their Star Trek Year 5 series, and uh, we had an opportunity to do a supplement supporting the Year 5 line. And so if you're familiar with the with that with that comic series, uh, they introduced some new species, the Ecosa, which are an aquatic species, so we, we got them into the game. Uh, you can also play Tholians. We, the the Tholian, Tholians played a big role wow. in that comic series, so we got the Tholians in as a playable species. And then if, you're, uh, if, you're, <laughs> if you really want to have a fun challenge, uh, on, uh, on the websites and on uh, DriveThruRPG, you can get a free downloadable uh, Tribble uh, character sheet, so you can play Tribbles if you want to. And uh, the Tribbles, there's also uh, optional rules in there for... Uh, a triple that's been uh, assimilated by the Borg. So if you want to have a really interesting game experience, at your table, <laughs> play a uh, play a triple or play an assimilated triple, and then see what kind of shenanigans you can get into I don't from know. there. Playing a triple <laughs> makes my Klingon that's blood amazing. boil. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I wanted to dive in actually because there there's actually kind of an array of different things that are coming out that are lower decks. Uh, you know, have lower decks content in them. And I kind of want to just go through them piece by piece. Um, just talk about what, what the differences between all these things. Um, I think we've been talking so, so far about the, the campaign, uh, is it called a pack or a campaign supplement or what's uh, yeah, the official? The, uh, the camp, the lower decks campaign guide. That's what's, that's the book that's campaign on guide. right now. That's a, a yes. yeah, that's a 240 page hardcover, uh, full color, you know, standard eight and a half by 11 standard RPG size, uh, you know, uh, splat book, I guess, if you want to call it that. A campaign guide full of information about Lower Decks, the Lower Decks experience, how to play Lower Decks officers in the game, uh, just a ton of lore about uh, Starfleet and uh, the Lower Decks experience, how to play Lower Decks characters in other polities. So if you want to play Klingons or Packleds or Romulans or Ferengi, uh, even Borg in the Lower Decks kind of mode, a lot of advice on that. Uh, new species, like, uh, like Al mentioned, 
uh, tons of uh, uh, writing advice, like if you want to bring the Lower deck style of humor into your game, uh, some guidance and uh, some thoughts around that. Uh, and then a three-part a three part mini campaign, all focused around the Lower Decks t- character type of experience. So we, we packed as much as we could into 240 pages. Uh, it's pretty, uh, you know, dense in terms of uh, just cool tools to throw at Game Masters and players to add to your game. And uh, hopefully folks will dig it. Yeah, I have in my notes, uh, I literally wrote that my, my main note for the campaign guide is, holy shit, playable exocomps. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's kind of cool, but like, why even bother with the rest of that chapter? I mean, who wouldn't play a pack-led, right? <laughs> it should just be the pack-led chapter. I mean, come on. <laughs> Yeah, this this, uh, this book could almost double as the Packlet supplement because uh, we we I mean obviously because Packlets play such a key role in Lower Decks to date uh, that we wanted to really make sure that we had a lot of material in there. So there's some great informa- information and lore around Packlets and their world, uh, their ships. There's a bunch of different ship options in there for Packlets, uh, non-player character uh, write-ups, write-ups and staff walks, and then, of course the information on how to actually play a Packlet in the game. You know, as a playable character species. So. Uh, for those of you like me who love the pack leads in a weird kind of way, then uh, there's tons of information in here for you to play with. I love it. You also got a uh, forward from Mike McMahon in that book, which is pretty neat. Um, got from the from the man himself, uh, yeah. the Lord X man himself. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, very very grateful he had the time to to put that together. Uh, just the the way the weird timing worked out when we uh, when we delivered the manuscript for for their review, it all goes to to him and his team at uh, at Titmouse and. Like the manuscript hit right when they were in the throes of post production on season three, and so they, they were they were so so busy. It, it took a long time for the manuscript to be reviewed and approved, only because we we just hit it we just hit it the wrong time. We had no idea, obviously, when they were in post production, but that's what we found out. And the, that he found time to uh, to write a to write a forward for us was just amazing. And uh, to be honest with you, I, I didn't realize he had as much gaming experience as he did. Until I read that forward, and I was like, "Oh man, this guy's this guy's a, a you know big gamer just like the rest of us." So I was just really thrilled that he was able to uh, to contribute that. I'm always us. amazed when I like you always hear stories like that of oh yeah, it turns out that you know there's this whole big gaming culture in this group, right? My my longtime friend was military for like ten years, and he would talk about you know playing games when he was in the army. Uh, RPG specifically D and D, but then you'll hear stuff like, "Oh yeah, well it turns out that D and D is really big in prison populations, and it's really big amongst actors." And you're just like, "I mean, at least some of that makes sense, right?" But it's kind of for everybody, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing. I, I, the more the more we uh, you know release stuff for this game, and the more we reach out and expand our the, our touching out to different people, we discover. Who's who's playing games and who's not playing games? We found out like uh, you know Anthony Rapp on uh, Discovery. He runs a D and D game oh, yeah. for, for the cast, and uh, we found out mm. that Todd Stashwick is a huge, huge gamer. And in fact, he just recently ran D and D for uh, Jerry Ryan and uh, Jonathan Frakes. Yeah, I saw that. Like, oh, <laughs> wow, this is amazing! Like, guys, do you want to run Star Trek? I remember. I remember at one point we asked Anthony Rapp if he'd, if he'd run Star Trek Adventures for like a charity thing or something, and he was like, "Yeah, you know what? I do Star Trek." For reals, I'm not ready to do <laughs> RPG. And I was like, uh, I get that. <laughs> I understand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like bringing work home or something. It's also one yeah, of those exactly. things that, to be fair, um, I've noticed a lot of 
the celebrity gaming stuff, it's always D&D 5th edition. And I love D&D 5th edition, mm-hmm. but it is a very simple game, right? You can spool somebody up in a few minutes and hit the ground running, right? Even when mm-hmm. people don't have introductions, you know, there's a basic understanding there. But, you know, that that simplicity also kind of narrows the field that the game can be played in. That was one of the things I found really interesting about the Star Trek Adventures game is it's much more narrative focused than D&D. And albeit 5th edition is a little more narrative focused and a little less crunchy than previous editions. But it is much, much harder to run a system where the rules are baked into the narrative as opposed to just the narrative happens outside Mm -hmm. of the rules. Yeah. Yeah, that's that that's always like I, I, I've got, you know, tons of, of lifetime experience playing D and D and I enjoy it, but I think a lot of my fifth edition games, I don't know if it's it was if it was the the DM or the group or just the overall vibe, but it always like every time I played fifth edition especially, it always felt like it was two different games. It was like there was one game where you're just doing the narrative and you're doing the RP and you're going through the adventure or whatever. And then like the moment a, an encounter comes up it's like the, everybody's brain shifted into like tactical combat map mode where you're bringing out the miniatures and you're bringing out the map and you're bringing out all the stuff and it's like oh now all of a sudden we're in a, all of a sudden we're in a, in a you know tactical tabletop combat game and all the RP went away like everything went away because all we were doing was focusing on the on the it's tactical the stuff and I was like this is right. this is weird <laughs> right as I've gotten older it's like oh this is weird why can't it, why can't it be a blend of the two and it's just it's, I think it's just a D, that D&D that's baked into me from back in the day when we had Facos and, uh, you know, Ben Barsliff Gates and, uh, you know, all that stuff. Uh, yeah. it's, it's hard to get away from that sometimes, I always I kind of, like, related to, like, White Wolf games that were, you know, much more narrative-focused. And I can't remember, like, whether mm-hmm. it was first edition or second, where so much of the game was just built around the dice just exist to tell you whether this action you take succeeds and how well you succeed about it. Which I think translating that to, uh-huh. you know, Star Trek Adventures is a lot of like the momentum system. And it adds that extra layer of narrative focused with, you know, complications and determination. And just, it's, it's interesting to see like this new paradigm. I just find it very interesting as a, a gameplay mechanic and the fact that, everything's integrated into a scene as a scene as a scene, even when it's combat. Right. I think one of the things that's unique about the system is that it assumes that you're all highly competent. And yes, even in a lower deck setting, uh, these are still, you know, competent individuals that have worked their way onto a starship, right? So it's a lot of tell me what you want to do. And I will tell you if it can happen and or if you have to make a roll to see if it happens. So I found like approaching a game in that manner, you get the players a lot more narrative and descriptive about their actions and more detailed about what it is they're actually doing instead of going to grab their dice and roll right away to see if they succeed, right? Like I've had players say, well, is, can I scale down the turbo lift shaft? And I'm like, I don't know. Can you, do you want to do that? Like if you would like to do that, I can tell you what it would take to be successful. And that's one of the things I love about this game is you're already 20th level characters when you start the game. (laughs) That really is pretty cool. 
one of the other things I appreciate about the game that uh, you know Nathan Dowdell is the lead developer at Modiphius for for two D twenty games, and uh, I just love the fact that especially from a narrative focus, players have the ability by spending momentum or by giving the game master threat, you know these these little uh, these little meta currencies that we have in the game. Uh, you can you know the players can actually have some agency in terms of like actually shaping the scenes or the encounters to some extent, where they can add their own contributions. Like oh you know a complication came up, or you have a you want to create a particular advantage that helps your characters get through that scene. You can you can tactically uh, you know choose when to spend this momentum or to, or to give the game master some threat just to help shape the narrative a, a little bit. And uh, I mean from a from a storytelling perspective and from a collaborative gaming perspective, I think that's just that gives players a great amount of joy in my experience to like it's not just the game master dictating to them what's happening you know either just by fiat or just by based on the die rolls you know successes and failures the the players can actually kind of shape things along and i think it's just so much more rewarding uh in my experience that uh that players can do that and and feel comfortable and you know as long as everyone's on the same page kind of uh, you can just have some amazing uh, gaming Star Trek adventures like of all the rpgs i've played or read it is the only game that has a baked-in risk versus reward mechanic as a core of its system. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, you know, we're we're kind of touching a lot on, on everything that has to do with the uh, the campaign guide, um, but to kind of delve more into the the background instead of the game itself, um, I really wanted to know what uh, you know how how hands-on was you know Paramount slash CBS slash you know. Mike McMahon's team in collaborating with you guys to do this? Was it a kind of a ask forgiveness instead of permission type situation? Or did they kind of, were they approving assets step-by-step? Uh, I'm asking you guys, I've certainly worked at companies that really wanted to, you know, look at every single asset and, Oh my God, you know, this guy exactly is not the right what I was thinking. I was going to say, this and that, tell me so. about your wrong shade of blue <laughs> moment. In the uh, world that like every company has the, that's the wrong shade of blue yeah, so um, so Paramount, we we have a great rela- working relationship with Paramount. They uh, they approve literally everything we do at multiple stages. So they they look at the uh, they look look at the draft manuscripts. They review those and uh, either provide notes or approve them, just d- depending on what what the content is and whether we miss the mark or hit the mark or whatever. They'll give us feedback as appropriate. Uh, they look at all the artwork, so all the artwork, all the manuscripts, uh, the covers, the layouts, everything. They look at everything multiple times. Uh, either two or three times, depending on how how far along we are, and um, the uh, the review team over there is is amazing and fantastic. And if you're looking for a, what you know, is is this character the right shade of blue moment? Uh, the one example I can think of is uh, we were developing the uh, Klingon core rulebook, and there's a piece of art in there of uh, of, some, of some Klingon you know original series era Klingon soldiers doing you know whatever they're doing, and uh, in the background was a Klingon soldier. And they had the you know the traditional original series uniform. It was like the you know the black pants with the with the gold vest with the turtleneck underneath it. And uh, he had a belt buckle just like all the other ones did. But uh, the the button placement on the belt buckle was wrong. And the note we got uh-huh. the note we got from Paramount was uh, is that belt buckle button arrangement canonical or did you where's the reference that you found to do that we just want to check and make sure we got our references right and i looked at it and i was like oh man i think we got it wrong and so we went back and found our (laughs) found our uh, you know archival uh uh material and we 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 went back to the artist and said uh, 
hey, we got the belt buckle wrong. Can you fix it? <laughs> so, uh, you know, <laughs> they, they check every word. They check every manuscript. They check every piece of art very carefully because they, they know their Star Trek, you know, certainly better than we do. And I think, you know, myself and my team, we know Star Trek pretty darn well. I guarantee you that artist was in the inside screaming, ah, I was hoping they wouldn't notice. No, I don't know about yeah, I don't know about that, but I was screaming inside, thinking, "Why didn't I catch that?" Right? But uh, <laughs> no, we, I think we I don't think we've ever really intentionally tried to get anything past them. I think there are certainly tons of Easter eggs in all of our books that I mean that I mean, frankly, even I probably miss some of them because some of my writers are pretty clever and uh, they'll put Easter eggs in there that even I don't catch sometimes. Um, and Paramount uh, often doesn't give us notes on that stuff. So we're like, okay, they, they didn't have a note on it. We're off and running. All good. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't remember getting any notes about somebody being the wrong shade of blue or a shade of color or something. But uh, especially for Lower Decks, though, uh, interestingly, we, um, we had permission from, from the Lower Decks teams to, uh, to use uh, screenshots from the show liberally as needed, which was great because that was a huge... A, it's a time saver, but B, it's also saved us a lot of money. Um, but we also wanted to include a lot of original art in the book because uh, we try to put original art in all of our all of our products. We don't use we don't normally use um, screen captures or screenshots or production stills uh, like, like other other uh, RPG companies that have done Star Trek relied on that because obviously the the that stuff is free, right? As long as Paramount has that it, in money, our, sure. as long as as long as Paramount has it in the archive, you can use that stuff all day long. But we really wanted to do more original art. For this for this game line, and uh, for lower decks, we made the conscious decision early on to make it all lower decks style art in this particular book because it was an opportunity to do something a little different from the line. And uh, what my art director did, uh, Ariel Ariel Loray, he's a great art director. He he was able to source a whole bunch of artists who could do the lower decks style of art and characters, and um, and made that work. Uh, but in a couple of cases, some of the characters. The proportions were a little different. The proportions of you know faces and legs and stuff were just a little different. And and to my eye, my you know my my layman's artistic eye, I didn't really see it. Uh, but we sent it to uh, you know to Paramount and they sent it to Mike McMahon and his team. And obviously they live and breathe lower decks all day long. And so they were very particular about how they wanted these characters to be portrayed in the artwork, which you know I one hundred percent absolutely get. So they had some fairly extensive art notes on some of the original art and, and the cover. You'll see that the, the main characters are on the cover. And uh, and that just meant we had to make some adjustments, and that, that was totally fine. Uh, it was just an interesting experience to actually get art notes back, because you know, like traditionally, most of our artwork um, is original, and it's usually new characters or new species or something. And, and Paramount's like, yeah, that looks great, fine, no worries. But uh, in this case, because we were uh, trying to hew as close as possible that lower deck style, they had a few notes for us just to try to, you know, make sure that we were fitting right in with their uh, with their vision for their characters. And, and in some cases, they were telling us we needed to be a little bit funnier, right? Oh, yeah, for the manuscripts, <laughs> absolutely. So, I, I, you know, Lower Decks has a very particular style and tone of humor, right? And uh, it's alternately, you know, irreverent and funny and dramatic and honest. And then, like, if you think of, like, Badgie, right? Badgie's all over the place where he's sometimes helpful and then sometimes outright you know just an evil and <laughs> and we have a lot of sidebars um in the book that are from badgie's perspective providing color on the on, on the text that's being discussed and uh, in some places badgie wasn't wasn't funny enough or wasn't badgie enough and in some places he was just being too malicious and i was like well but it's badgie 
and they were like, well, you know, Badgie's kind of a fine line between funny and, and menacing. And so there, there was a few places where we had to kind of like, you know, turn the dial a little bit to try to like zero right in on what the what the right tone was. Even for some of the other parts of the manuscript where we had like uh, Boimler introduces the book and introduces some of the other sections. Uh, we had to just uh, you know, fiddle with the language just a little bit to get that right, um, you know, that, that right Boimler tone and that right overall lower decks tone. O- overall, it was super positive and super productive. Uh, it just added a little bit more time to the to the review cycle, right? Because we had to make some um, strategic rewrites to some places. It's funny you say that because one of my notes here was uh, to inquire about how much of a focus was adding zaniness to the Star Trek Adventures game was... Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. It's got to be different than the doing any other Trek show, right? Like you're, you've got to emulate the lower decks tone specifically, which is not a thing that appears in the franchise otherwise. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like, like most of our books are played, you know, are, are presented fairly straight so that they fit right into the, into the setting, into the franchise and stuff. And, and that we provide, you know, players and game masters a really strong canonical grounding in everything Star Trek. So like, if you want to play something Star Trek, you can use our books as a reference and then build on from there. Uh, we, we do embellish around the corners a little bit, and we add in a lot of secondary canon where it makes sense. Like, we've made references to the comic books and the novels and the video games where, where it fits, and strategically we can drop those Easter eggs in. Uh, but for Lower Decks, like, because Lower Decks as a series is um, such a unique departure from every other Star Trek series out there, uh, we thought there was an opportunity with this book to, to make this a little bit of a departure from the standard Star Trek Adventures product line and do something fun and do something different and just get a little silly with it and but still be you know reverential to Star Trek cuz that's totally what lower decks is and not make fun of it but just be silly within the bounds of Star Trek right in fact that's why we made the cover self-referential right cuz if you look at the cover it's the same it's the same background basically as our core rule book and we just changed up the characters so instead of the three characters that were on there uh, the first time around we we added uh, you know Boimler and and Mariner and and uh, Tendi and uh, Rutherford, but it's the same circumstances, right? They're still exploring the same kind of uh, setting that the the original characters on the core rulebook were, which we thought would be just like a fun nod to ourselves, but also because Lower Decks kind of does a nod to Star Trek as it is, right? So we had fun with uh, we had <laughs> we had fun with that, and uh, you know I told my writers, look, um, we can we can be funnier in this book than we normally are, but at the same time be careful because humor is so subjective. Um, you know what you think is oh, yeah. slap slap knee funny is going to be completely flat to somebody else, and they're going to be like, "What? I don't I don't get it." So we had to, we had to be careful with that. And again, that's why we got some notes from Paramount saying, "Hey, this needs to be funnier. This doesn't make sense, or whatever." So it was a but yeah. Ultimately, we had a lot of fun doing something a little bit different with this book. Yeah, I think, and I think we all had the perspective when we were writing it um, that if there was somebody who didn't enjoy the Lower Decks uh, TV show they could still pick this up and get a lot out of it for their campaign, right? Because lower decks are, there are lower decks on every single ship in Star Trek, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, That doesn't necessarily mean that it needs to be a wisecracking or comedic lower decks, right? So, you know, um, our writers were, were going through and, we, we joke around saying that we've got chapters in here that are basically like uh, HR for Starfleet. Um, <laughs> and, and, and But, like, seriously, like, what type of jobs would a lower decker have on, like, an aircraft carrier these days? And we kind of uh, extrapolated that over uh, to what that would look like in the future. And and so we really wanted to uh, to make this accessible for all 
uh, Star Trek Adventures players. Uh, of course, there's stuff in there for the people that love Lower Decks, the television show as well. We reference uh, a bunch of stuff in there, especially in the sidebars. There's some really fun stuff in there. But I think that anyone who enjoys Star Trek could pick this up and find plenty of stuff that they can uh, work into their campaign overall, which is, uh, which is a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. I'd say um, if, uh, if you think of the uh, Next Generation episode, Lower Decks, and then like the DS9 episodes, uh, Soldiers of the Empire, and uh, Valiant, right? Those, all three of those episodes really focus on Lower Decks characters in a much more serious tone than Lower Decks does. And so if, if, uh, you know, if you're not a fan of Lower Decks, like Al said, but you still want to have a, a campaign or even like a one-shot or something that's just focused on junior officers, kind of in the spirit of Valiant or Soldiers of the Empire or, again, Lower Decks. Or even uh, there were some Voyager episodes, too, that had Lower Deckers. Uh, there was that one episode where uh, Tuvok was uh, training. Tuvok is training the, the, uh, the malcontents of Voyager. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there's, I mean, obviously we have great canon uh, examples of this, and you can absolutely do that in the game without even bringing in the Lower Decks, you know, style of humor. If you don't want to, there's still a wealth of material in the book that you can you can find use at your uh, at your game table. Yeah, and I was kind of wondering about that because I know there was a lot of disappointment when Lower Decks was announced that it was going to be a animated humorous TV series, and a lot of people wanted a very serious TNG styled Lower Decks series. Mm-hmm. Let's. Uh, I wanted to ask Al specifically. I mean, is what was your favorite part on doing the campaign guide specifically? What was your baby as far as the campaign guide goes? Um, honestly, uh, like my favorite part, uh, I got to do a few different sections in here. I got to write a mission. I got to do a bunch of the NPCs and uh, and enemies. Uh, and I got to do seven of the eight uh, species life paths. And I think the Tamarian life path or, or like species was probably my favorite just because I think Tamarians are, are just such an, an interesting species, you know, and, and uh, being able to put in there, like, w- what is it that their culture is like, like things that we didn't see on the screen during uh, Darmok. And it, it was just, I it did so much research and really kind of extrapolated out and kind of massaged like what I thought the species culture was like in that basically I said uh, if you are a member of the Temerian species your history and your mythology are one in the same and how all members of the species could potentially become part of that mythology um, by doing uh, great deeds and whatnot through their uh, unique language and got to uh, do a little like conversion table in there as to uh, you know what their metaphors roughly translate to uh in english and yeah that was that was probably my most fun moment followed up closely behind by writing the mugato stance uh or stats for the game um oh because uh i did i think six different spellings of mugato because that is uh <laughs> just like randomly or did you call it out in the oh no the... that was that was on purpose because uh that is something that is in star trek lore um, in yeah. that uh, it has, it was mispronounced. Is that right, Jim? That's right. I think so. Yeah, I, I can't remember if the episode itself actually had multiple references in it within the episode that it was spelled differently, but uh, um, I think you got like eight or nine, eight or nine different spellings of it in there, and they and they 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 you know green checked it all, so we were good to go. Good. I'm glad they let it stay in. Yeah, the original episode they <laughs> pronounced it two different ways. 
And then in Lower Decks, right. they called that out and said, oh yeah, it turns out that they're both equally valid. Uh, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, that's really cool. We've kind of been all over the place as far as the campaign guide goes. Is there anything else really neat or interesting about that product specifically that we missed talking about? You know, one, one thing I would add is that, uh, you know, in general, we've avoided using a lot of random tables in our books, like to create stuff. Although in the last couple of years, we've started adding more strategically just based on what made sense for the product and what made sense for what we were trying to get across to uh, players and game masters. And in uh, in the Lower Decks book, we had an opportunity, especially Al. I know Al created a bunch of them. That to just like add interesting color to different situations and create a random table because, like, honestly, if you watch the show, right, sometimes the things that happen to the characters are really truly just totally random stuff, especially in like the teasers right before they go into the uh, opening music and credits. Like, this is just a random stuff that happens, right? <laughs> and we wanted to kind of like add that kind of random feel because we're like, if you're a lower decks officer, like, sometimes stuff happens to you that you're not expecting and, uh, you're just kind of along for the ride, and we wanted to kind of bring that that feel into it. So we've created a whole bunch of different random tables of stuff like, um, you know, your uh, your senior officer died in in one episode, but then came back and didn't explain why they came back. Well, here's a random D twenty table of why they came back. Like, what happened to them that brought them back? Were they <laughs> deassimilated from the Black point? Mountain on there? The the Shacks uh, solution. I think we got Black Mountain in there somewhere, or at least a reference to that into the koala at uh, at the edge of space. Oh yes, of course. Um, so, <laughs> you know, like, 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 you know, why did your uh, senior officer come back? Uh, we have a, a big table about the farm. Like, if you remember the uh, Division fourteen, oh, yeah. Um, you know what yeah. what what horrible affliction have you been uh, hit with? What was the cause of it? And then what's the potential cure? Right. So we got some you know fun goofy stuff in there. Uh, Al, help me out. What, what are some of the other random tables we got in there? Um, there's the, uh, Hey, you grab this and get to doing that on <laughs> the thing. Like if you need okay. a, like something, uh, for, uh, someone's supervisor to say to them, it's hilarious. <laughs> it's like a three tier table and you say, Hey, grab that spanner and get to work on recharging the plasma manifold. Uh, <laughs> and it's just random jargon that you can roll up. That one's a lot of fun. I'm trying to think. Oh, uh, mandatory bonded t- bonding time. There's a random table for that, I believe. Nice. It reminds me of those like uh, tech, like Star Trek techno babble tables you could find online. Exactly. Or just, yeah. Exactly. Just roll the dice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, these are these are yeah similar similar to that in some respects, but also ways to uh, kind of spark imagination and give the characters you know something to do. Whether it's a random table for uh, like opening an episode, right? Like like opening up before the teaser, or you know opening up as a as a cold open or something. You know, like, what are the characters doing, like, right when you start the episode? And that could be a really good way to get the characters and the players into the game. Like, okay, you know, we're getting ready to start playing the game. And, hey, all of your characters are, uh, you know, doing an EVA outside the ship. And the ship, you know, drops you off at the at the asteroid and then leaves. <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> You're just like, there <laughs> on the asteroid. It's like, uh, okay. But, yeah, like Al said, the mandatory bonding time uh, table, that's... Uh, was was uh, was inspired by that episode where um, Mariner and Tendi go off on a quote unquote girls trip, and uh, we thought, well, why don't we expand that into like twenty options of like random things that the lower decks player characters could do to to bond and to get together and to do something as as a, as a group, and uh, we got just a lot of fun options in here. So hopefully this will you know give players an opportunity to do something fun and different at the at their you know Star Trek Adventures game. That isn't the tried-and-true uh, stuff that you're used to. Yeah, and this is a 240-page book, so there's a ton of content in here. 
uh, every page hopefully dripping with uh, plot hooks and ideas to spark the imagination. Uh, don't don't think that this is just a book about the series, right? There's just a lot of other content that we were able to drop in here to really provide the the breadth of the lower decks experience into any Star Trek game, no matter whether you're playing Starfleet or uh, you know something else. And I would like to add, Jim, uh, something that we haven't mentioned is we also have two crew packs. We have uh, a mission up, a digital mission, and then we have a pack of mission briefs up as well, correct? Absolutely. Yep. All digital products. To yeah, I was going to mention those as well. That, I mean, you kind of breeze through all of them, but uh, I mean... Yeah, you guys are uh, killing Stavros here. He had a whole section planned out. Where he's all like, <laughs> hey, you've got this and you've got this. Tell us a little bit about it. But... <laughs> No plan survives contact with the guests, so uh, <laughs> you know it's fine. But yeah, I mean, if you guys could just give us the rundown on each one of these, like what what does that bring to the table as far as lower deck stuff? Yeah, sure thing. So uh, we we've made a conscious decision in the vast majority of our books that we don't include stats for the uh, for like the canonical characters, right? So you're not going to find stats for Kirk or Picard or War for uh, for the most part in uh, in our books, except in strategic places. Uh, so if you're grabbing the Lower Decks campaign guide and you're expecting to see Rutherford and Tendi, etc., they're not in the book, and that was intentional because we really want players and game masters to focus on their characters and their experiences and their stories. Uh, so um, what we do is we provide the canonical characters in uh, short digital releases uh, you know, on PDF, on DriveThruRPG, and on the web source. So if you want the stats of you know Rutherford and Tendi and Shacks and so on and so forth, like you can grab the the digital pack for like I don't know like four bucks, five bucks, or something like that. And that get, they'll give you the stats, and that way if you want to compare your character against them, you can certainly do so. Uh, they're all statted up legally, just along the lines of any other character. Um, I remember back in the day, like, I always hated when an RPG, like a licensed RPG, would stat out the main characters, and, like, they didn't actually use the rule set to stat them up. They were just, like, beyond no. beyond capable right. of a starting player character could be like and that always frustrated me because i was like well wait a minute <laughs> if i'm playing a character i want to see how i how i rate so you know luke skywalker or kirk or whatever and if i can't do that in your game system then why would i bother right that's just frustrating but so all the all the player characters that we present in the um in the crew packs are, are built just like any other player character so like you should be able to make a one-to-one comparison between your character and uh, and you know mariner or rutherford or whatever um, so yeah, we got two crew packs, one's for season one, one's for season two, because uh, the characters, uh, you know, improved incrementally between the seasons and we rotated in and out some different non-player characters, uh, so that you can play with those as well. Uh, there is a, a standalone adventure titled Lurkers that is, uh, written by Christopher L. Bennett and those that are following the, uh, Star Trek fiction scene. He's written a lot of very well-received, uh, Star Trek novels. And he's also written a bunch of other science fiction. He's been in Analog and Asimov's, et cetera. He's got some other novels out there. He's he's just a you know full time writer. And uh, he was <laughs> I, he's a friend of mine. And he was gracious enough to play in the Star Trek Adventures universe. So he wrote a, a standalone adventure. I'm not going to spoil it, but uh, if you're familiar with the Star Trek convention scene, uh, this will be a very fun episode for you to run at your table. Ooh. And then also uh, you you mentioned the the free content that we uh, that we offer. Um, earlier in the show, and so uh, you know, every other month we try to release a free pack of uh, ten mission briefs. And ten mission briefs are basically uh, high-level outlines for a story. Basically, you can take that to your game table one night and just run an episode of Star Trek using that as a high-level outline, and then letting your players, you know, help you kind of like fill in the details as as things happen and the players make choices and 
maybe it goes completely off the rails and goes somewhere different, or maybe you just use it as inspiration to to tell an even better story. Uh, so anyway, we have a ten. There's ten episodes in that free mission pack. So if you were to grab the lower decks book, which itself has twelve mission briefs in it, plus the three um, mini campaign adventures, if you were to grab the lower decks book and that free mission brief pack, that would give you uh, uh, twenty five episodes potentially. And uh, you know, depending on how often your group plays, that's like a year plus of con- like real year plus of content that you can enjoy. Yeah. Um, for for not a lot, and we we do a lot of those mission briefs. I think uh, Al, I, I've lost track. I think we've got probably. 350 discrete episodes out there now for Star Trek adventures, either in mission brief format or actual standalone, you know, adventure format. So game masters and players new to the game, there is just a wealth of material available for you right now to, uh, to play this game for the rest of your life. If you want to <laughs> yeah, see the TV series and think we got to beat that. We, we can beat that. <laughs> 26 episode season, baby. It's <laughs> <Yep. laughs> the old days. It's the glory, glory days, days. The 90s. <laughs> That's crazy. I didn't realize it was uh, being continually updated with new ideas. That's pretty sweet. What did you say it was weekly? Uh, uh, no. Uh, every other month we do a, a free mission every month, brief. Every month. And then every gotcha. other month, every month that we don't do a mission brief pack, we have a standalone adventure coming out. So I, I try to do uh, six standalones and six mission brief packs every year. And that machine has just been running smoothly for a couple of years now. That is pretty crazy. Yeah, as as a as a GM, uh, forever GM that loves GMing, the mission briefs <laughs> are like the greatest thing that that I've experienced in role playing games. One page scenarios uh, that give you that that high overview, and and you can take them, you can tweak them. I like to use them as B plots. For my for I'm do might do a plots with with part of the group and then do a B plot with the mission briefs, but the mission briefs really can be expanded to a full episode each. And I know I think we've got over a dozen packs of those out there right now that you can download for absolutely free. So that's pretty awesome. Okay, well, so with all this uh, adventure content out there, with all these episodes, I gotta know. You know, they weren't all bangers in Star Trek. What is Star Trek Adventures Sub Rosa? Come on, tell me. <laughs> is there one in there? I'm just saying, because if I'm going to run a campaign, is there a sex ghost I in there somewhere? Where there's a sex candle. <laughs> just, just tell me. Oh, no. I'm scared of this answer. Uh, you know, I, I, I have to be honest. I'm, I'm going to have to punch on this one because. I uh, because I'm I'm, I'm helping for the, the writers. The writers write it and I edit it and then send it off to Paramount. They approve it. And I can't. I haven't run every single thing that we've written, and I think there's only like one or two people that I know of in the fandom who has who has noted that they've run everything that we've we've done. Like I, I can't believe that someone has run all 300 odd uh, episodes or mission briefs, but someone out there has done it. And uh, I, I, honestly, <laughs> I honestly don't know because uh, like I, I I'm on all the social media, I'm on all the RPG forums and stuff for the, that talk about the game and whatnot. And a lot of it comes down to personal preference, obviously, right? Like some people like some adventures more than others. I, you know, I, I don't think I've heard anybody say, oh, this episode or, you know, this adventure sucks or, or whatever. I think some like them better than others. And for every person that says, oh, I didn't like this one, you know, there'll be somebody else that says, oh, my gosh, I, I love that one. And it had the most amazing adventures with my group or whatever. So um, I'm going to have to punt on this answer because I, I don't know what our sub Rosa is. So I'll have to let that one go. Hey, Al, any thoughts? <laughs> not, not in particular, but like, like again, my preference is I prefer like a less railroady type mission 
Like, yeah. I, I prefer having a little bit more control over what's happening within the mission. And I think that, you know, there might be a more railroady mission here or there. But in the end, I always take those as challenges where I can focus on my character and how my character uh, develops throughout the episode. So ultimately, that's really my driving force. So I, I can't say that I've ever played an adventure that I disliked. But I think that's because I engage at a high level with my characters. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, ultimately, <laughs> ultimately, like, every every writer that I hire to work on the on the line is super passionate about Star Trek. I'm super passionate about Star Trek. And we all have such a love for the franchise that I, I don't think we would intentionally write something that was like uh, Spock's brain or a Sub Rosa or something like that. Yeah, of course, you know, when they were developing those episodes, I'm sure they were not intending to make them be you know, high quality or subpar. Like, I don't think that was in their, in their, you know, thought process. It's just like, that's how it all turned out because of the nature of uh, television. And when you're on a, when you're on, like you said, 26 episodes a season, right? When you're on that kind of a machine with that much pressure to get stuff done as fast as humanly possible so that you can get it out and hit that air date, you know, sometimes you're going to have standouts and sometimes you're going to have some stinkers, <laughs> right? But I think the RPG might be a little different than that because like we do have a, a robust release schedule, but uh, I, I generally don't push my writers to get it done by a certain point in time, especially with the standalones and the mission briefs, because those are just, those get done when they get done. And I've got so many in development that, like, if one person's adventure isn't ready to go right away, then I'm sure I've got two or three others that I can I can slot into it without miss, missing a beat, right? So, And when Jim looks at a, um, like, a proposal for a mission or something like that, like a pitch, I think he ha- he he's really good about responding with, hey, does it just have to be this one possible solution, right? Is really a combat in the final scene like the only thing that can happen here? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then encourages the, the writers to go back and think about that. Like, how can this be? Because not everyone is going to be a bring your phasers out and start firing first type players. So, like, think about it from all aspects of the game. And I think that Jim does a great job providing feedback when people give him pitches about stuff like that. Thanks, Al. I do want to take a step back here to something, you know, Al said previously about his preferred, you know, gameplay style, his preferred preferred adventure style being more sandbox than railroady. So it sounds to me like you're saying less an errand of mercy guy where Starfleet gives you a mission and you go and do the mission, and more of an amuck time guy where Starfleet goes and gives you a mission. <laughs> And you decide to help get your best friend laid instead. <laughs> oh no! I, I, yeah, I, I think I, I think that I feel like I put him back on his heels. Again, I just always like to think of it from the perspective of yeah. a character uh, and what we're going to do with that character and and how we can we develop that character over a period of time. As a GM, I'm in the back of my head thinking of arcs that I want my characters to go through. So if if my players say that they want to, you know, go against what Starfleet's asking them to do, you know, there'll be consequences for that in the future, and I'll make sure to write that in. And myself personally, I like to talk about personal growth as I move through uh, a mission. So whether it's sandboxy or railroady, I try to look at who my character is, what their values are, and hey, do any of these values come into play? If so, here's what I'm going to do this mission. If not, uh, maybe I'll take uh, the back seat and let someone else, you know, take the lead this mission. 
And I think that's what the brilliance is of this uh, 2D20 system that Nathan developed. Well, from a design perspective, it's so hard to create good sandboxes and still engage your players. But that concept is very core to Star Trek. You know, the captain gets the mission to go to, you know, planet Beta 9 and, you know, provide relief supplies. And it turns out that, oh yeah, Beta 9's kind of a crap sack. And suddenly, you know, resolving his mission is only going to make things worse here. So he has to get creative. Um, that is a core Star Trek mm-hmm. episode idea. Yeah, and I think I think a lot of the missions that are pre-written and certainly the mission briefs are loose about their endings. Like, so this may be how you approach it, or maybe you do this, or maybe you do something completely different. Uh, in the end, here's the shape of things after the mission is over, right? So to allow players to have the flexibility to approach the story from how they're their group likes to do it, you know? Yeah. And I'll, I'll, I'll add that, uh, you know, we've somehow managed, I think a lot of our mission briefs and a lot of our standalone adventures are intentionally written with like a notional ending, but provide a lot of flexibility for players and game masters to go in a different direction. But we do try to really inject the, uh, like the, the traditional Star Trek moral dilemma in there as well. Right. Where it's like, there, there are not always easy answers or easy resolutions to things. Right. Like sometimes, Sometimes your choices are bad and worse, right? And you have the players have to figure out, like, okay, what what do we do here? Like, either either situation, either way we go, or maybe there's a third way or something. Uh, you know, the end result is like not great. So, like, how do you deal with that? Because that's that's life, right? Like, sometimes there is no happy ending, and you just got like I think DS Nine did a, especially did a great job of some of those episodes. I feel like one of the uh, in the series had a great quote about this very topic from of the captains something about not making any wrong decisions and still failing was that yep yes yeah. <laughs> that's gotta be picard <laughs> yeah picard knew yeah. what he was there you go we won we got it congratulations guys <laughs> job's done here let's go home that's awesome of course having said all that having said all that about you know the core of star trek and you know moral implications and solving problems how many of these episodes are courtroom dramas? I think we've got a couple in there, especially with some mission briefs. I think there's a couple of courtroom dramas. Uh, I think, you know, Star Trek historically has done it so well so many times, uh, not to mention the most recent episode of uh, Strange New Worlds. You know, no, no uh, spoilers Don't here. Don't spoil but, it for um... Stavros. He's only an armchair Star Trek fan. He hasn't uh, watched yet. Okay. <laughs> wow. Wow. I see. I, I, think, I think we've done a couple of... of courtroom at least courtroom drama yeah. optional or potential like we don't we don't force that necessarily on the players like it but you know circumstances happen i think i've, I've certainly seen plenty of uh, youtube streamers and twitch streamers and people who've recorded their sessions that you know things went sideways in one of their one of their sessions and all of a sudden they're like oh well, it's time for a court martial and uh <laughs> and then they, they have to role play through that next it's like that's that's one of the nice things about star trek depending on how you're running it is that uh you know, your actions have consequences and you're not just off to the next dungeon the next week or you're not off to the next planet the next week. Like, sometimes if your characters do something heinous heinous, or just, you know, like, totally, you know, bumble their way through a situation, then, you know, Starfleet uh, Judge Advocate General and Starfleet Command is going to come in and say, hey, you know, what what happened on planet Zeta-3 there? Uh, let's talk about it. And, uh, you know, have a general uh, inquiry or a court-martial and get into it and 
in general, you know, players might, or the characters might come through that unscathed, or maybe they'll get the proverbial slap on the wrist or something, but that's part and parcel of Star Trek. I think we've seen it plenty of times, and it's not something to be scared of necessarily. It's just potential for character growth and character drama, and uh, that's what that's what we're here for. Yeah, I, and and if if you were to run a session like that, my recommendation would be to try to have a B plot going as well to try to keep all players engaged. Oftentimes, when you're doing a court drama, it's one character uh, at a time in the scene, uh, and that can sometimes lead other players to kind of uh, disconnect a little bit. Um, so, to help uh, everybody stay engaged, I, I would always recommend a, a, a B plot for something like that, especially. Solid advice. Or if you do something fun like what they did with uh, Measure of a Man, right? They had uh, Picard defending Data, and they and they made Riker be the uh, yep. the opposing uh, the opposing counsel, right? right? So immediately you've got player versus player in in a certain <laughs> format, but it, it really changes the dynamic and makes the players think and uh, and puts them in uh, unpleasant situations, right? Because uh, like Riker certainly didn't want to be there, you know, prosecuting Data, but he did a good job of it because he had to, right? That was the job he was placed into. So that would be an interesting uh, situation to put some players into, I think. Yeah, I think you'd have to want, you'd go and probably want to talk to the group ahead of time and say, you know, is this cool? Is it okay to do this kind of thing? Or maybe like a session zero where, uh, you know, maybe some players just don't want to go there and, and maybe just, you know, switch gears or something. I think you found your next uh, mission brief is uh, something like this. <laughs> <laughs> Believe it or not, we, uh, we actually, a uh, little spoiler for everybody, we actually do have a, a Judge Advocate General uh, mission brief in the works. Right. That'll talk about uh, boards of inquiry and court martials and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, look look, look for that in the uh, coming months. That's awesome. Can't wait for that. Uh, we've talked a lot about all the different Lower Decks products coming out. Is there anything we missed or anything you guys want to call out? Yeah, I think I think I think we've covered it every pretty much. I think the 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 crew packs, the standalone adventure, the mission brief pack, and then of course the the big one being the uh, the Lower Decks campaign guide. Again, that's a you know not to not to plug it necessarily, but uh, available for pre-order right now on the two Medifia sites, uh, Medifius.us, Medifius.net. Uh, available for pre-order. If you pre-order it, you get the PDF right away, and it's the it's the full version of the PDF. It's not like a sample copy or a or a truncated version just to tease you. It's the full-blown book in PDF format with bookmarks and all that stuff. And the uh, the book itself, it's in in UK now. It's on the way to the United States warehouse. We're expecting it to be at Gen Con in physical format, so go to the Gen Con booth, you know, grab yourself a copy. Uh, but if you pre-ordered it from your uh, local game store or wherever, uh, that those will be shipping in uh, August, barring any surprise in uh, you know the global supply chain or whatever. So it'll be out uh, here pretty soon, and that's the that's the extent of our plans uh, for the most part. Although we we are working on a season three uh, supplement as well because uh, most of this book was developed and finalized before season three finished. So there were some elements of season three that we weren't able to include just because of the production schedule and the way things worked out. Um, but because we know season four is coming, uh, we're, we're working on a season three uh, digital supplement now. That'll be out uh, you know, when it gets done. It's, I'm not even sure how long it'll take to go through the review process with uh, the team because uh, hopefully we'll get them at a different time now because they'll be done with post-production on season four because that's coming out this year. And we'll probably get them right. in between season four, season five. So, you know, that hopefully that'll be a smooth process. Uh, well, let's. Uh, I have a little special something oh planned God. before we I break here. Yeah, we shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> it's going to be really fun. We're going to come up together. It's going to be a team game. We're going to come up with a collaborative mission together. 
Um, and I hope you guys have played Mad Libs before and you know the rules. Um, uh, but if if not, um, I'm going to provide a list of things that I need words for. Um, and it's between you three to figure out a word for each uh, prompt. <laughs> um, and then I will then slot in the word in a pre-built uh, mission. And we're going to go from there and see what kind of mission we can come up with together. So how do you guys decide which suggestion to use between the three of you is completely up to you guys. Without further ado, I think we're going to get started here. So the first prompt, it is a plural of Star Trek objects. It's got to be some kind of Star Trek objects. It's plural. Um, I don't know, coil spanners? <laughs> coil spanners. Any better ideas? It's kind of. I like coil spanners. That's good. Oh, coil spanners. Okay. I would have said self-stealing stem bolts. <laughs> I was thinking stem bolts uh, when I first wrote this, but you know what? We're going to have to go with coil spanners. All right, the next, we need a ship name, a Starfleet ship name. Alhambra. Alhambra, all right. I was thinking something more like Titanic, you know, something unsinkable. Or Earhart. Uh, Too topical. Um, <laughs> Oof. No, yeah. none of those? Yeah. I don't think we're going with that. It's a little I'm too still... topical. <laughs> all right, I need, I need an adjective. An adjective. Um, Any, Any adjective will do. Stinky? Stinky. Okay. Stinky. All right. Stinky or sticky? Uh, either oh. one. <laughs> okay, I heard stinky. stinky. So I'm gonna go Can we not that. do both? <laughs> no, it's, uh, it has to be one How or the other, unfortunately. Stickily stinky. That's, that's an adjective. <laughs> Is that just one word? That doesn't work at all. We're going, we're going with stinky. Stinky works. <laughs> all right. I need a Star Trek alien. Oh. Mugatu. No, I think yeah, we should Mugatu. go with yep, I feel like that's a better alien. Mugatu. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I need a Star Trek planet. Teddy Alpha 7. Ooh. Doesn't that planet not exist? No, that's, Teddy not, Alpha. that's not a real planet. Why not? I don't know that. Did they ever discuss <laughs> how many planets were in the Seti Alpha system? At least six. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Okay. Seti Alpha 6 it is. Oh, man. I need a color. Is clear a color? Taupe. 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 I think we got a color. Taupe. Okay. Taupe it is. I've never heard of that one, but you know what? Um, if somebody develops per products, I'm going to take your word for it. Tan. I need a number. 47? 47. Yeah. <laughs> 47. That's, that is the Star Trek number. We're going to have to go with that. Okay, I need a word that's a, another plural object. So it doesn't have to be Star Trek. It could be anything. Objects. Objects. Any kind of and plural we're, objects. And we're getting all the very specific Star Trek reference, and we're failing on <laughs> objects. Dust pans. Dust pans. I like Dust it. pans. Yeah. I love it. Dust pans. Okay, I need a TNG era Star Trek character. There's a lot of them, man. That's 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 a loaded question. Sonia Gomez. Gomez, yeah. Gomez. Oh Captain or, Gomez. Well, is she a captain in TNG? No, she's not. TNG, or Dex's sort of TNG. Yeah, I think you're stretching it there, buddy. <laughs> I'm gonna. I, I'm captaining this boat. She's a captain. Uh, I need a verb. Some some verb. A lot of these are gonna be general. Engage. In, engage. Gauging. Okay. Gauge, yeah. Uh, an adjective. 
Adjective. Pungent. Pungent. Any adjective? Pungent. Pungent. We're going with the whole smell angle here. <laughs> you have no idea. Wait till we get to the actual uh, read through. Uh, I need a noun. Noun. Water. Okay. I need another adjective and followed by another noun. This is getting adjective awfully first. Yes. You'll see. Hey, repetitive. Yeah, That's see. an adjective. <laughs> repetitive. All right, another noun. Oh my gosh! All I can think of deflector dish. Deflector dish. All right, I need a location on a starship. Oh, the duck room, rubber duck room. Okay. <laughs> the duck room. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> another adjective followed by another noun. What is going on here? We're playing a, a bad lip style game. Vicious. All right, another noun. Phaser. Phaser. Another ship location. Turbo lift control. Okay. Is turbo lift control an actual location? It's the next gen reference. We're gonna make it. I love it. And last but not least, a verb. Bossing. Boss. What is it? Boss? Is that a word? Like it's in throw, only less forceful. (laughs) Like os instead of toss? Or are you just saying toss? I think I'm just saying toss and something's going wrong with my microphone. (laughs) Or, you know, my my vocal cords, because, you know. Not like I've been drinking (laughs) or anything. All right. All right, here we go. We've completed our episode. Uh, our episode is called The Trouble with Coil Spanners. <laughs> On board the California-class ship, the USS Alhambra, topical, the player crew is tasked with transporting a, sh- a shipment of stinky uh, coil spanners <laughs> to Gumatu at, on City Wait, Alpha what are these 5. What is Gumatu doing with coil spanners? This whole thing is going off the rails, man. <laughs> it's already off the rails. Who knows why they need it? Yeah. This While assisting tech. with loading, they are they are approached by a Starfleet intelligence operative who invokes security protocol TOPE 47 <laughs> and inquires and requires the players to deliver the cargo on time no matter the cost. That means no superior officer involvement. The players are assigned to secure the cargo but realize that it has been mixed up with a set of, a set of crates of dust pans that are actually due to be delivered to Captain uh, to Captain Gomez, but was included on the shipment due to a clerical error. The characters must locate and separate out the correct cargo. As they sort it out, they realize that something strange is making the cargo containers engage every the few minutes. Cargo container engage. <laughs> like are these these electric cargo containers? Self sealing cargo containers. I didn't say this was going to be a perfect mission. <laughs> As the crew investigates, yeah, that's right. As they discover a peculiar, they discover a peculiar alien life form that is stowed away in the cargo containers, given away by the by the pungent odor of of pungent uh, deflector that is, that is dishes. Very <laughs> odd. Oh no, I'm sorry. The pungent it's pungent water. I'm sorry. The pungent odor of pungent water. Water. water sounds the like alien a horrible, quickly is- like, it sounds I don't even know it's like a horrible diet drink pungent water uh-huh. <laughs> yeah 
The alien quickly escapes to other parts of the ship, altering its scent as it goes. Repetitive what deflector dish repetitive in dish? the duck room. Smell like. <laughs> and, a, and a vicious phaser in turbolift control. The crew desperately needs to explain a way to any senior officers in those locations what they are doing before the alien can finally be captured and returned to the cargo bay. As the mission comes to a close, the crew finally manages to successfully deliver the cargo uh, to City Alpha 5, but not before a final scene where the Alhambra's XO comes to oversee the transfer, just as the cargo is starting to engage once again. <laughs> the end. That sounds like a good Lord. I know, I, there. I know, I'm waiting for my job offer to be a, a writer right now. <laughs> I've got good news. Um, writing is always an available job as long as you don't expect to get paid. <laughs> that is true. That is true. And we often say just write, 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 get your stuff out there, and then you know one day somebody or will you'll grab go you. to jail. Um, <laughs> pro tip: No matter how much you believe Oof. that just writing things down is not a crime, you are wrong. Pro tips from Aaron, everyone. There's a reason I live alone in a hovel in the desert. Yeah. <laughs> I think we've had enough of my uh, inane uh, mission construction. Yeah, so, you know, I, Aaron, I, I think honestly, you need to get I just, you've, you've once again ruined things with your incessant rule lawyering. So I'm taking my drink and I'm going <laughs> home. And until next time, you can follow us at Lower Dorks on Twitter. Or, if you're so inclined, you can roll up your own podcasters with pen and paper podcasters. Coming soon to a rundown strip mall with one struggling Gabe shop in the far corner. Because they don't carry any mainstream content. It's dark. <laughs> <laughs>